Today on the Cameron Journal Podcast, I am joined by Joseph Gillet. He is the author of Investors Insiders, Investors Guide to Legal Insider Trading. I'm very interested to figure out how this is going to work. Um, he, he's been a, a Wall Street veteran for 25 years. Um, he is high finance. He's the people that wear suits and ride around in Mercedes going to big tall buildings in New York. And so and as someone who's spent most of my working career writing about the 2008 financial crisis and economics, and um, we have a great investment business economics business at the Cameron Journal. Um, the minute I saw this one, I wanted to grab him. So we're going to find out all about this and how all of this works and more esoteric ways that Wall Street has come up to separate us from our money. Um, so <laughs> welcome to the Cameron Journal podcast, Joe. How are you? Thank you. Great. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. So why don't you, let's just dive right into the deep end of the pool. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your book? Okay. Uh, <clears throat> I started out, I was always interested in markets. I started out day trading with my dad, got me into it when I was a kid. And um, in the nineties, it was really easy to day trade. Uh, so it was a very bad learning lesson because everyone was making money just by guessing. And then the dot-com uh, bubble collapsed and then it wasn't easy to do. So I started trading currencies and I did that for 20 years. And that was really, really good. It was fun. And I was, I'm a technology guy. Um, so I developed algorithms to trade currencies and I did that. And then I got basically regulated out of a job by the Wall Street guys that drive Mercedes and wear suits. Um, so I had to find something else to do. Uh, I wanted to open a bank and, uh, basically they raised the requirements. You needed a hundred million dollars to participate in the currency market. Uh, so they made it difficult for most people. So I started doing venture capital. I got a series seven license and that's what I've been doing since then is, um, matching buyers and sellers in private markets. And it's something before I started doing this, I knew nothing about. But I've learned that <clears throat> this is where most wealth creation happens. So I've learned, for example, I've seen how some of these billionaires have started from nothing and and worked their way through this system uh, to become wealthy. And um, of course, as you referenced, it's it's a little bit um, unfair system. But the the good news is anybody, it's open. So it's not like you have to know someone to be able to do this. If you have the knowledge of how to do it, anybody can do it. Um, and that's what I decided to write a book that it's kind of like a guidebook for anyone who wants to get into investing. Um, you don't even need any money to start. You just need to start saving, basically. And I have a, a, a part in the book just on saving. Like if you have zero money, you have to get a job and uh, save your money, which is not easy, but um, but it's possible. So uh there's no requirements to do this. Uh, a lot of people that have become successful have have started from nothing, but it it does require time and hard work, and it's not easy. But um, it's not all luck either. So that's that's the good news. Uh, so the business is really successful, and I just I want to get into more education and kind of to give back and and help people because uh, I get lots of questions in my job, like how does this work, how does that work. So I wanted to. Um, explain some of the inner workings and demystify it a bit yeah i yeah it's kind of no that's very good i 
I feel you on on the forex thing. I was a currency trader years ago, which where I was living at the time met every Sunday at three o'clock. Um, yeah, when the markets opened, that was a must be in front of computer moment. Um, and uh, I I was fortunately probably never as good at it as as you were. I I I got I was able to do some pretty hot trades. They were pretty awesome, you know, sort of thing. Um. But there are so many things that affect it for me, like the level of research is just like the amount of reading you have to do to understand currency markets is a little crazy. Like, yeah, it's a full time you know, job. Yeah, no, one press release from a central bank can that's millions or billions of dollars made or lost, you know, yeah. in a, a single press release, you know. Um, and I, I particularly enjoyed doing uh the dollar yen pair. So I was always like, what are those? What's the BOJ up to today? Like it's you know, yeah. I, I spent a good about two and a half years living in fear of the Bank of Japan. Um so <laughs> um yeah, that's um there was a whole craze in that for a while that's really died down. There was a lot of independent platforms that were coming along and now and that really has kind of died off in the last a little while so well yeah and this kind of ties into <clears throat> why i wrote this book because what it was was um and i guess this is true in most industries you've got a, some 10 banks control the forex market and they decided they wanted to destroy all these new platforms and all the competitors so it's basically like a monopoly so they created the dodd frank regulations and they basically like for example in in 2000 when you were probably trading there were three or 400 Forex brokers in the United States, and now there's two. Yeah. No, and I mean, there was, I mean, the, so I was doing this in 2010, 11, and a little bit of 12. Yeah, it was and, just before the regulation. So it was, yeah. Yeah, you, that was, I mean, th that was kind of a real, like, a real renaissance of it happening and all this type of thing. And I, I started out day trading with my dad as well. In fact, I remember, here's how old I am. I remember when decimalization for stocks came through. When yeah. I started, you could have, you know, nine, six, you know, IBM is at nine, 16 and a quarter. And in yeah. 2000, we switched to decimalization and yeah. everything was in even to the penny. Um, So uh, yeah, that was, uh, um, yeah, and so it was. I, I started out in, in the same way, it's, but I'd never traded currencies before. I mean, I knew you could, but I had never done it. I, so I really had to like learn that whole business and everything. And um, and it was. I was sad when they got rid of spot silver and spot gold because you could make good amounts of money on small movements in precious metals. Um, and they 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 shut that business down, and I'm kind of like, yeah. I'm not surprised. The gold and silver people want those prices to remain fairly stable. They don't want you know millionaires made because the price of gold moved ever so slightly in the right direction. So yeah, I'm not I'm not surprised about that. But yeah, I was wondering kind of what had happened. So major market consolidation forex. We went from many 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 down to nobody <laughs> basically. <laughs> Yeah. It, yeah. If you want to call it a consolidation, uh, <clears throat> I would call it a racket. So what it is that like, if you send money to uh, the UK, you're paying 10% right. uh, to JP Morgan and and these guys. So they just, I mean, the, the FIFO rule, you know about FIFO, you have to enter the trades in the same order, which you exit. Yes. So all of these rules, no hedging, no leverage, it just killed the U S market. And I have friends that went overseas you can still make money trading in Australia and other places, but in the United States, 
they made any strategy just not work. So um, they basically killed the market. And and now if you want to trade, you have to go to Gain or Oanda, and they're not really good brokers. So no one's making money. So yeah, it kind of died down. And no, I mean, the, the the most of the the broker I started with wasn't even American. They were in, from Spain. Um, like all the good forex brokers were all European or Australian. Right. Yeah. Like yeah, they are. Um, but I mean, at the same time, though, they've had legalized sports betting on every corner in Europe for decades, and we're just now kind of sort of beginning to allow sports betting ish in some places you know so it's a different culture it's a different culture but um so moving forward to venture capital that's very interesting i have the next evolution of my life now that i'm kind of leaving you know starving artists behind in favor of you know artists with money um is to get into the whole uh you know, invest. I love investing in business. I think have promise. So, um, I love doing like main vest where you can invest in coffee shops, dispensaries. I did a dispensary in Massachusetts that was really great. All this type of thing. Um, I do fractional real estate with ground floor, which has been a great, great business. Um, I hope they're going to IPO here soon because we'll all do very well for ourselves. Um, and all this type of thing. How does one get into investing in this manner? Uh, that's what I offer with my company. It's Venture Capital Cross. I have a online portal and I'm trying to offer diversity. So most investing is uh, companies that people are familiar with like SpaceX, Stripe, um, but you can do earlier stage investments. We did a crowdfund for Gab. Have you heard of Gab? It's a free speech alternative to the big social media. So Gab did a crowdfunding campaign, which is for retail investors. You could invest $300 in Gab. And then as Gab's equity grows, your equity grows. So that's one way to get into it is just invest. Uh, another way is to start a business and and raise money. You know, it's there's two sides of it. Um, right. But basically the venture capital is just startups and small businesses is really what it is. And then no, as that's, they- that's how I got into real estate. I was working at a real estate company. I wanted to invest in real estate and ground floor was to offering fractional real estate investment to the public. And I I bought stock with them in their series B round. That's how long I've been with them. Almost, I think maybe 10 years this year, almost. Not, if not maybe eight or nine, but almost 10 years this year. And so and I started in that manner. And that kind of got me into it to be kind of like, I wish I could do this. You know, what else is out there? You know, but then you get you go and start to look. And, you know, if you're not an accredited investor, it's really it's really quite difficult. And that's only just now beginning to change. Well, there's um, so there's three or four offering types in private markets and the the ground floor is going to be crowdfunding and crowdfunding or reggae plus is for retail investors. So you don't have to be accredited. Right. Um, I have very limited. I've only done one crowdfund because it's mm-hmm. a lot of work, but there's a company called Start Engine in Los Angeles um, that offers um probably a couple hundred different deals and I've invested in some of their deals and it's, it's all very early stage, but it's all just interesting stuff. It's just like, there's one uh, solar company and they have like a solar powered barbecue grill and, um, and the minimum investment is usually pretty, you know, $500. You don't have to be accredited. Um, so there's ways to get into it with the, with the minor investment. And then, 
Uh, Jet Token is public now. So I invested in Jet Token as a crowdfund in like five, six years ago. Uh, I mean, you have to be patient. It's not a get rich quick scheme. You know, it's you got to, if you invested in Series B, most of the venture funds have a 10 year um, time frame. That's what they expect. And that seems like a long time, but life goes on. I mean, the idea is you set it and forget it. You just invest what you can and then forget about it. And some of them are going to be total losses. That's just to be expected. Um, <clears throat> but the ones that win, you know, if you catch an Airbnb or an Uber, uh, they were like 2,500% returns for the for the seed investors in Uber. There were guys that made 500,000% return. Yeah. So, you know, you're not, that's the extreme end and then in the extreme loss. But the good news is mathematically, you can only lose 100% of what you invest. Um, but you can make a lot more than 100%. So the math is actually really good for investors. Uh, the key is, <clears throat> I added a section to the book, uh, how to get the next Uber. And the answer is just invest in lots of deals. And not a lot of people have lots of money to invest in lots of deals, but that's that's the strategy that the big VCs do. The more deals you invest in, the more chance you have to catch the next Uber. Because nobody knows at a seed stage who's going to be Amazon and who's going to be the the next WeWork, which was a total disaster. So how do you know? You just do your homework and research and you have a gut feeling. Does this seem like a really good idea? Um, and But lots of deals is the key. And No, no, I, I totally, I even do that in real estate. I have in ground floor the most diverse real estate portfolio because I don't like my, because the deals take so long to do, I don't like my money tied up in, you know, fewer, larger investments. I like to keep it spread out. So I've got, you know, $10, $20 on all these different properties. And it's kind of like, well, you know, yeah, I have, you know, 13 loans in default right now. I'm like, yeah, I also have 250 going. 13 is not that bad. If I were a bank, we would be happy. We would be reporting on what a good risk management we had this quarter, you know, like that, you know, that's like comparatively not that bad. I mean, we might want to loan, we might want to loan more because our risk tolerance is too conservative and we're leaving money on the table for shareholders. Like that's, you know, sort of thing. So, um, yeah, it's, I, I firmly believe you, you have to go do a lot to find that one, that one winner. So I like how you mentioned WeWork though. I thought WeWork was the most brilliant idea ever. I thought that was well, going to go. I, I remember well, sitting in my car listening to Scott Galloway and Kara Swisher say it was a dud. And Galloway's like, yeah, I've read the paperwork. This company is BS. And that started a whole media thing. And a month later, it was all done. I was I was shocked. I really was. Well, um, a lot of... Uh, well, have you ever heard of Regis? No, I don't think so. Um, okay. So I've, I've, I've always been a wall street guy, but I've never, I mean, I visited wall street ton of times, but I've always worked remotely from very rural remote areas. I live in the city only cause I have a kid. Right. I like to live in as far remote as possible from, uh, people with internet, right. We can live in paradise and work anywhere. So, um, I've always used, it's a company called Regus that yeah. I have an office in, uh, at downtown and it's $200 a month, and it's just an address. It's basically like WeWork. It's right. a British company. They're, uh, I mean, they have 20,000 locations around the world. They've been around since 1970. Um, so people who know Regus, and Regus has some competitors, 
um, how were they going to compete with 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 Regis? Well, how they did it was like free beer. But that's I mean, that's kind of a gimmick. I mean, a lot of the things and and but basically we were could have worked. But the uh, the founder was completely insane. Um, so that was a problem. He was yeah, he was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I yeah. didn't think you could get any crazier until Sam Bankman Freed came along. And right. then we found out, oh, no, it gets worse. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah. I'm, I'm just I'm sitting over here being like, I've been in business for 10 years for myself. I'm I'm a clean professional person. Like I'm like I've been clean and sober ten years. I have my life together. All this type of thing. Give me a hundred million dollars. I'll find something to do with it. Like it's like you're giving a dude who couldn't get off his League of Legends game long enough to take your billion dollars, and you continued to do business with this man. You deserve to lose your money. Like if you yeah. can't. Like I'm autistic and don't like eye contact, but at least pretend to look at the camera while you're talking to me as I write you a check for ungodly amounts of money. Like it's just, in, it's insane. I don't understand how those two got that money from those people. Like I, well, I don't, I don't, it's boggles with, the mind. With FTX, I have a theory with WeWork. I, I don't know, but FTX, I think was a project, a CIA project uh, to destroy the market because Someone was behind Bankman Freed. You'd be very popular on Twitter. That's a very con Twitter is very on your side with that. Yeah, I mean, I I I I thought this before it collapsed because there was something very unusual about how FTX came out of nowhere, and all of a sudden he's getting contracts from like these huge VC firms. That just doesn't happen, you know. There was something behind him, and and also that doesn't match up with like. Elon Musk is brilliant. When you listen to him speak, you can tell he has a high IQ. He's actually running these businesses. Bankman Freed can't even speak properly. Like he doesn't, it doesn't match up with the business model. There's, you know, he didn't invent all this uh, design, this complex infrastructure. There was someone behind running the show. He was just the, the lucky guys, you know, calling, you know, the peacock that they needed to show in front of TV cameras. Um, but FTX was was super toxic, and we yeah, were com yeah forex com or not forex but um crypto company slash sex cult um it's an interesting business model for sure um yeah it's a very difficult I, I wasn't surprised about FTX I've I'm one of the few people that's been kind of boo on crypto and I was an early crypto adopter I bought Bitcoin at sixty dollars and I sold at six thousand um. Congratulations. And, well, thank you very much. And um, I, I didn't own a lot. I just, I was working a regular job and I was just kind of like, oh, this is neat. Let's kind of see what happens. And, and I, and I got, I did, you know, a lot of new currencies. I did a ride with Solana, did a ride with Ethereum, um, a couple of those. One of them bought my car. Another one got me a move to the East coast. Um, <clears throat> one of them enabled me to leave my ex-girlfriend um like you know all this type of thing. so it you know it was it was nice you know a lot of those things happened but i realized for crypto it's tulips there's no and as warren buffett rightly points out there is no underlying value nothing is being produced or sold no one's life mm. is being helped there's no real underlying value ergo ergo the the only reason a price rises is because someone it's a greater fool someone else is willing to pay more for it sort of thing and i'm kind of like hmm that's a little volatile for my taste and i got rid of everything
and yeah, I haven't I, looked back. I totally agree with you. I was I was always like that. And I don't know if it's maybe because of we traded Forex, but I always felt the same way. Like when you uh, due diligence of venture capital investment, you want to learn everything about it, right? right. You learn yeah. who's the founder. Where are they from? Are they are they scammed? Oh, I'm on their Facebook page. And, I don't right. know who their family is. <laughs> and so I started doing this about Bitcoin and you don't know who created it. It's yeah. a it's a big mystery. The bit, you know, the it looks like this other thing from MIT from 1994. And and it just, I mean, it, if I had a billion dollars, it wouldn't give me the warm and fuzzies that I would just, you know, there's other better investments. So I also never really I I, I actually bought Bitcoin at like a dollar. And then got hacked at Mount Gox mm. and got nothing. So I just kind of, I never really did much with crypto. Um, yeah. No, I, I was, I loved, I mean, I, the only, I always thought crypto as a currency will go nowhere, but the technology behind it will change the world. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I still maintain that. And I think even with something like Ethereum, which is now actually used for blockchain contracts, I said, yes, that's what blockchain is good at it should do that you know yeah. sort of thing i think it's also i think the other good thing about it is it has gotten the central banks to speed up currency digitization which most money is traded in computers now anyway like yeah. we don't we we don't have a lot of cash floating around in the pandemic we had a coin shortage because people quit spending cash money and there was no there's not enough coins circulating in the system for a, about a year all this type of thing and i think it has made that process lead up to where now and very soon you're going to be able to send us dollars to almost anywhere on the planet instantaneously yeah the federal reserve that would have never happened if bitcoin hadn't been quietly nipping at their heels being like pay attention to me you know so it can be kind of like the well if we're going to beat bitcoin we better modernize some things around here and it kind of forced the fed to join us in the 21st century which is nice that's yeah. good for them <laughs> yeah i agree <clears throat> so yeah so um well this has all been very fascinating um so um returning to your to your book what do you think are the top maybe key three or four takeaways from people who are looking to get into it because a lot of people started getting into investing during the pandemic because the whole gamestop thing which i thought was hilarious i loved every second of that um so what are the top three or four takeaways for people who maybe new and are trying to get into this sort of thing? Uh, anybody can do it. You can build wealth, but it takes time and there's no uh, shortcuts like GameStop, like crypto. Um, you know, I run into kind of two kinds of people um, and one kind just want instant gratification. Like, you know, I want to invest in a trading system and a cryptocurrency and it's going to go to the moon next week and and I'm going to go on vacation. That's That's not the case. Um, but over time, you can build wealth, you can save and invest. And the venture capital ecosystem is 90, 99% real businesses, people like you and me. I mean, it's real people who are founders. And I mean, Airbnb is a great story. Um, they're all great stories. And there's a lot of ways you can get involved. You don't have to just be an investor. You can work in the sector. You can do a lot of things. So there's a lot of opportunities. And <clears throat> the whole market is good for the economy. Uh, something like 85% of new job creation is created by startups up to the series D or E. Um, all these companies are developing things like, I mean, 
medical technologies, cures for cancer, just name it. You know, they're all that's that's where real innovation happens. So that's an exciting thing to be involved in. So there's a lot of great stories and great people. Uh, the best and brightest, you know, it's, uh, or you can, you can be you a founder. Have to watch out for Elizabeth Holmes. That's what you have to watch out for. <laughs> right. But, yeah. I, and I, I talk about that in the book. It's basically identifying a scammer is like one of the, because private markets, the big thing that the disclaimer is that um, with public markets, you've got overwhelming disclosure. So I can find out what a CEO of a publicly traded company ate for breakfast uh, yesterday, if I wanted to. Whereas with private markets, you don't get any financials, you get nothing. If you want to invest in these companies, I mean, they're not required. Some of them may pr provide a deck, but they don't have to provide any kind of information. So you've got to do your own homework. So for some people who are not familiar, it's hard to determine who's Elizabeth Holmes and who's Elon Musk. Like if you're looking from the outside, it's not always so obvious because if you ask a scammer, are you a scammer? They're not going to say, yeah. You know, like the questions at the airport, are you a terrorist? You know, who's going to answer that positively? Yeah. Uh, so you have to learn how to identify a scammer. And I I just made a list of like a bunch of 20 things, how to identify. Um, and that's part of due diligence. Uh, and but there's a huge community. It's, it's such a big market that um, there's a lot of people who are interested in it. It's very similar to real estate. Like you mentioned, real estate. It just hasn't kind of picked up in the same popularity, but it it's a similar kind of market. You know, the best uh, best investment I always say the go to is rental properties because it's something everyone understands and it's there's always a need for housing, and and that's the same argument for venture capital. That's the takeaway is there's always going to be a need for Uber and Airbnb and I mean these companies are solving economic problems. Uh, yeah. And, <clears throat> And that's, no, I mean, that, no, that's, that's always I, I've worked in rental housing. That's how I got into real estate, although I do flips. I don't do rental housing, though. The ground floor is moving in that direction. And as those investments open up, I will invest in them. Um, I mean, yeah, rental housing can be a great a great business, especially if you take a long term view, you know, um, and and really, you know, be mindful of no, you're not going to be rich tomorrow, but you know, you'll do very well. Your kids will do very well, all this type of thing. And I think, I think one of the, I don't know if you talk about this in the book, but I, one of the things I always look at, and this is another thing with Warren Buffett, I believe, invest in things whose businesses you understand. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and so I look at it something like if you, if you're a founder and you can't tell me what your business does in 10, 20 seconds, I'm immediately suspicious. Yeah. You know, like it's kind of like, it's like what, you know, Airbnb, we help people rent out their homes and spare rooms to guests. Fantastic. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> you know, um, that's, but it, it should be something like that where it's kind of like the, yeah, like this, you know, this is what it is, you know, and then it's kind of like, and then if I want to know more, I can say, okay, now you can load me down with scientific studies. Um point me to the pdf pile um you know sort of thing like but i mean it, I, I get very suspicious of people who <laughs> say a lot but don't mean anything that always yeah. my red flags start flying up to be like well now what's really going on sort of thing i get real suspicious so um no that's very that's very that's very interesting um <laughs> 
technical question, but might be a funny answer. Um, on your cover, you said legal insider trading. How did you pick that? That's hilarious. Um, my lawyer friend suggested that uh, because so insider trading is a little bit um, misunderstood. Uh, so insider trading is just simply when an insider in the company sells stock. And you can, let's say you're the CEO of Apple or any any company, Boeing, publicly traded, you're allowed to sell stock. There's nothing wrong with insider trading, uh, but you have to disclose it to the public and you, you're not allowed to trade on inside information that the public does not know. That's what's illegal. Um, but insider trading is completely legal. Uh, and there's hedge funds that follow insiders. So if the CEO of Disney is selling, there's a hedge fund that's selling because they think that there's a reason he's selling. So um, just separating the legal from the illegal, like with taxes, tax evasion means lying about your income. That's illegal and punishable by jail. Tax avoidance is when you try to pay less tax by optimizing and expensing thing out. You can never go to jail for tax avoidance. The worst thing that can happen, the IRS can say, well, you miscalculated, you have to send us a check for $10,000. That's the worst thing that can happen. And it's the same thing with insider trading. If you're if you're a, a founder, like for example, a lot of my uh, sellers in private markets are founders. So the founder of Airbnb, Robinhood, they're all selling in private markets. There's nothing wrong with insider trading. Uh, they're just getting liquidity. Uh, in in many cases, uh, like Elon Musk doesn't earn a salary. The, he only gets money from stock sales. So that's uh, why I named the book because basically all these billionaires create that created wealth from nothing did it in a certain way. And they all use the same strategy. And I've watched how this works. Anybody can do it. It takes 10 years, but you can do it. I can do it. You know, we can all do it. It's just that people... The question is, why doesn't everyone do it? Well, number one, they don't choose to have a plan and stick with it and be patient and do the work. Uh, and that's what these founders do. You know, a lot of times these founders, they don't have success for 10 years. I mean, even even um, whether it's Palantir, Airbnb, most of them are just struggling a lot. You know, they work, but they work hard and they stick with it. And and it works out. So anybody can do a, a, a strategy that the elite can do. It's nothing special that the elite has that we can't do the same thing. Um, and I gave up on Palantir, and I kind of feel bad that I did. It's. I mean, it's, I had them for five years, and the stock was going nowhere. And I said, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna book my loss. I'm done. The the stock is unfairly punished because the Palantir founder is not popular with his kind of you know he's controversial and that's really the only thing it's a great company that it so but it stocks don't always match with a great company you know you could tesla their cars are crappy they get recalled all the time the panel fit is terrible the technology is immature you wouldn't know that by their stock valuation now would you right it's it's you just know. Yeah. If, if 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 general motors had as many recalls as tesla there would be congressional hearings about right. the problem with American auto manufacturing. Tesla, on the other hand, has cars go out of control, kill people. They have universal product recalls. Hello, Washington, nothing? Okay, that's fine. We'll be over here in Texas trying to solve 
cars that really don't belong on American roads. But again, the stock price never reflects that until very, very recently. But it, but people don't buy Tesla for how good the cars are today. They buy it for the long-term potential of this is the car of tomorrow. They're buying the story. That's why I call it a story stock. They're buying the story. They're not buying what's on sale today. Yeah. Yeah. And, and anybody can do it. The, the trick is to try to get into Tesla in an earlier, you know, before this amazing growth. And that's, that's the tricky part. Um, but it's possible. It's that's, that's what the book is about. And that's the takeaways. If, if you want to get into it, if anyone wants to get into it, take some time and read articles. There's, you know, yeah, there's so much other... stuff out there that, you know, yeah. anybody can do it. Well, and even, even in the electric car space, there's some other really great manufacturers. Um, I really like Faraday. They've had some struggles with funding and all this type of thing, but I think they might finally have it together. Um, Polestar has done very well. Um, I wish I, I had a chance to invest in Rivian and didn't. I'm hoping Rivian gets bought by Ford. If that happens together, I would, if I were Elon Musk, I would be concerned because Rivian has great technology and Ford knows how to make a hundred thousand of something quickly. That, I mean, they're already in partnership, but that together, that's the, that's a good chunk of the EV business, especially the EV truck business that just Ford would run away with it, you know, sort of thing. So I wish I had gotten in on that one <laughs> but there's other ones there's still opportunity in that marketplace where that that will continue to be a dynamic environment for a while i think yeah yeah so. and it's always changing it's, it's fast changing markets so it's exciting there's always new new innovations and um that's that's the the essence of capitalism and it works good it, you know wealth is created jobs are created you know yeah. how many people work for tesla spacex and you know a lot of a couple hundred thousand people and they're part suppliers. You know, people forget about that as well. Right. It's not just the companies themselves. It's everyone. It's every person whole, who yeah. does plastic for a door interior, does cloth for the seats, carpet for the seats, the people who mine the metal and transport it that makes right. the car frames. I mean, it's all of that stuff along yeah. the way. Yeah, the whole supply um, chain. Yeah, that is, you know, and that's thousands, tens of thousands of jobs, you know. Yeah. And um, now when it comes to all of this, a lot of people might complain that a lot of this just kind of increases wealth inequality and all this type of thing does such concerns ever bother you well what i've been saying my whole thesis is that anybody can do it so wealth inequality exists because uh i mean most of the people in venture capital are not third generation um family money they're founders that started out with nothing and created wealth. So like with SpaceX, um, you know, Elon came to America with $5,000 or whatever, even if it was 50,000, it's still an amazing story. But more importantly, SpaceX made hundreds of billionaires who were not Elon Musk. So um, wealth inequality is, is, is a problem that should be addressed by including everyone and that's exactly what I'm trying to do by saying, you don't need any money. You can work in McDonald's and start saving your money and invest in venture capital, or you can be a founder. You know, you can invest your time. You don't have to necessarily be an investor. Um, so any anybody who um, wants to participate in this, it's there's no roadblocks. It's all all the roadblocks are in your mind. In other words, anybody can do it. You know, it's like 
finishing college or set, setting a life goal. If if you want to become wealthy, there's a plan to do it. You know, this venture capital is a legitimate way to become wealthy because, you know, people approach me with these uh, scam deals all the time. Like I have a friend who claims that he can make 50% a week investing in some South American rainforest arbitrage scam. And, you know, the, 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 the venture are a dime a dozen and yeah, they are all awful. Yeah, it's it's the venture capital and private equity industry is a place where you can generate real wealth over time. So and everybody is included. It's it's not like an elite club of certain kinds of people. It can be anybody. So, um, I mean, there's always going to be wealth inequality in capitalism because not everyone can be a billionaire, but, but the opportunity is there. You know, it's, there's, there's not like a, a glass ceiling stopping people from, from going into venture capital. And most of Silicon Valley is very diverse. No, no. I just, I just wonder that all of this, I mean, I agree with you, but I just, I think, and I think the worry is legitimate that all of, all of this stuff, this modern environment of financialization and securitization and, you know, how the markets and things work now. I think there's a legitimate and fair concern that um, maybe it's all a little bit predatory. Um, you know, workers are being exploited for for profits and money is flowing unfairly to the top. I mean, I think those criticisms are valid. I've written extensively about my issues with the way the modern economy works and all this type of thing. And it's just one of those things of, in when I have someone like you on, I think it's, you know, kind of fair to ask to say, does it, do you ever think about it? And the answer could be no, don't care. I'm like, great, go with God then. Fantastic. No, you no, know, here, sort of thing. Or they'd be kind of like, yeah, it does bother me, but you know, there's money to be made, which no, is a valid answer too. No, there, criticism. We're just curious. We're just on a journey of curiosity here. No, there, there's my wife is Russian and I've studied uh Soviet history. Uh there's there's a book, Wall Street and the Bolshevik Revolution, that you can read that most people don't know that that's a very American good, yeah. bankers, American bankers financed communism. Mm -hmm. So Herbert Hoover set them up in business by stopping a famine in the late in the late uh in the mid 20s when right. they were literally starving after the re revolution. Hoover basically set the Soviet Union up in business. He regretted it later in his life. Right. But yeah, it's yeah, it would have so, never gotten off the ground without American money. <laughs> Ironically, that's you know Yeah. Yeah, it's a huge irony. And so communism really sucks. Communism is exactly what you said. Money is just sucked out of the system and people are suffering. That's communism. So capitalism creates value. So the question is about wealth inequality. What's the alternative? Uh, yeah. This speech, I don't know if you heard this guy, the Argentinian speech at the World Economic Forum, where he gave like a history of capitalism and what was the uh, the GDP of the world in like the 17th, 16th century? It's almost, you know, 0.2% a year growth. 90% of the world or 99% was in like abject poverty. And it was the industrial revolution that actually brought us out of that poverty and created a middle class. So capitalism, if you look at the whole system like a whole, capitalism is the best system we have to create uh, a, a civil society that has a middle class that's more balanced and fair. The most extreme system that we know about that creates the most suffering is communism. And a lot of these these leftists are arguing for communism, not understanding that it's capitalism is why America is better than Russia. Anybody who lived in Soviet Russia is not going to be 
advocating for communism it, because they know what it's like to go into a supermarket and have rice and beans and nothing else. Communism doesn't work. I mean, it's been tried hundreds of times. Uh, it breeds corruption. Another problem with communism, because you have central control, why did the New York bankers set it up? People are working and all the money is being sucked to the top and the bankers were taking it <clears throat> because they had, there was a guy from Florida, Armand Hammer, who's a billionaire that made all his money selling uh, pencils and, and uh, like shoes to Russia. Uh, you know, so communism is is very bad in it, in its output of, I mean, it's good for if you're the dictator, but that's about it. Uh, so what's the alternative to capitalism? But what we have basically is is a mix. I mean, we have a pretty uh, pretty robust welfare system in the United States. We've got um, this. not by European standards, but yeah. Well, yeah, but in Europe you don't have freedom too, so that's not good. In France, you've got an eighty percent tax rate. Uh, I mean, you don't want to live in Europe, believe me. Uh, I mean, in Germany, you can't homeschool your kid. Uh, it's illegal. They will come to your house and. Yeah put you in jail if you want to homeschool your kid. So Europe is not, I mean, Americans don't want to live like that, believe me. Um, so what we have is a pretty good mix. But as far as that argument, I, I don't think that those people are too informed about uh, capitalism. I mean, the solution is people just should not be greedy. So if, if, if you're a billionaire of a certain caste, you should give away most of your money to philanthropy and help people. And that's that's the solution. And, and a lot of people do that, uh, but not everyone is like that. That's the problem. You've got assholes are the problem. You know, the system works for most people, but you've got this greedy guy who just doesn't want to share. You know, you're just talking about Peter Thiel and we all know it. Like, <laughs> No, I was talking I was thinking of George Soros, but it could be anybody. But some 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 billionaires create value and some billionaires suck it. It's like Wall Street versus uh, Silicon Valley, you know, are you, yeah, I mean, but to, I mean, to, to your, to your point, I mean, cause George Soros is kind of the most, as far as a lot of right-wingers are concerned, you know, the most kind of scary man behind the curtain, all this type of thing. But when it comes to, and people don't realize this, George Soros made his money on currency trading, very high end, sophisticated, <clears throat> large transaction currency trading. And he, you know, and, and an, an argument could be made that other of these billionaires are better because they actually started a business. They sell a product and or service. They have actually increased the GDP of the country. Whereas George Soros basically fiddled with some numbers at the bank and got richer for his trouble. Sort of. The, the, the true story is that George Soros um, was part of the same club of the uh, Bank of England. So he had inside information. So he didn't exactly profit from currencies. It's basically a scam that he's running. The other thing that he does is he finances dictators and people die and people suffer. And then he bets the currency against he's basically funding the revolution and then betting that the currency is going to collapse because he's funding the revolution. And he's right. done that to tons of countries. So there's two kinds of traders. What venture capital is and what I do, it's a win win. So there's two winners. In George Soros's trades, there's a winner and there's a loser. Like in the 2008 crisis, Goldman Sachs was betting against all these people that lost their houses, right? They they made a bunch of money. So that's that's what we call toxic. So what I'm saying is that capitalism is good as long as you create value. And Soros is not creating value. He's sucking value. So he's betting against you. Like 
when when you're when you're uh, when he's making that billions of dollars on the currency, someone is losing. And when he's betting, no, I was I was watching an interview with him about the uh, the British pound falling out of the um, ERC, which was an exchange rate currency system with the German Deutsche Mark that was around in the early nineties in getting ready to move to the euro. They were consolidating all these European currencies to have a common exchange rate to get ready for the euro transition, and the pound ended up falling out of it because they entered the system at too high a rate, could not support it, caused economic turmoil. And yeah. they had an injury, and 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 that's and it, it was kind of funny because in this whole thing, Source openly talks about the well, yeah, we knew what was happening. We short, you know, basically shorted the pound and you know, made a bunch of money because we knew the pound was going to crash out of the ERC. And so, and, and, and the scary thing is he did it in about 14 hours. That was the frightening part, is that whole thing came and went in 14 hours, and he made a fortune in less than a day. Frightening. Yeah. Frightening. And the UK never stopped him, by the way. Everything he did was totally fine within their system. The Bank of England, I'm sure, happily deposited the funds into his account. The banks own the government, not the other way around. Well, yes, I mean, that is, I mean, one of the things I have complained about in my writing is I said we have, we have, you know, I, I the title of my first essay on capitalism was How We the People Became We the Corporation. And my argument was that we have this problem in our system where we have corporate and to some extent banking takeover of what should be people-driven democratic institutions. And the people are not in control. Um, yeah. I was asked by a listener one time, she said, you talk about who the politicians work for, who works for us? And I said, I have bad news for you. I do. No one. <laughs> no one. Me. Yeah. It's like, I'm the closest thing <laughs> yeah. to a voice you have. And I'm, yeah. by the way, I'm not an elected official and I don't work in Washington. Um, I write the Cameron Journal, you know, um, and that like, I'm the closest thing you have. But it's like, there's no one in Washington whose interests and whose campaign financing is tied to you doing well but every major corporation has politicians basically on the payroll we figured out how to legalize bribery in this country um you know and so it, it's a, a and so in that way the system fails the everyday person and it can be very difficult to cause any sort of political change within such a system yeah you know what the problem is is what we have is more like fascism than capitalism because you're absolutely right that's the problem is that the big money has become a monopoly and they can create laws to make their monopoly stronger and the people don't have any voice and that's that that is a problem but that's not capitalism that's something else and that's yeah. you know so it you know well, it's something yeah I, I think we're, but, we're a long way away from the capital i think the cool thing about your venture capital thing is i think it's so much closer to what adam smith had in his head about capitalism adam smith saw a small town with a butcher a baker and a green grocer right. and a farrier and i think venture capital the way you've explained it in this i know we've gotten way off topic we're, got, we're getting back to it here we go um we're, okay. we were such a back onto the main track um like i think the cool thing you talk about venture capital is it's more like the ad this is how capitalism should work this is what adam smith had in mind you know of years you and me joe and cameron walking down the street be like i like that business let's see if we can invest in, in them like that's capitalism in its non 
corporate controlled static form. Yeah. And I think that's also why it's so dynamic. Yeah, there are winners. Yeah, there are losers. But there's also opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I like it so much and why it's it's, you know, it's great for anyone to to jump into it. You muted. M muted. I know because I needed to take that phone call, but oh. this is the, almost the end of the show. And I would just, I was muting myself to tell them, give me oh. two minutes and I'll call you back. <laughs> no, that's totally fine. That's totally fine. Just be kind of like, yes, out two minutes, you know, just two minutes because we're almost coming up to the top of the hour, but yes, no, I entirely agree with you. I entirely agree with you. So um, yeah, no, that's perfect. That's perfect. I, I think it is, it is a good thing. And I, I definitely, I, I would like to talk with you again further, not in the context of the show, because I would like to do more of this in the next chapter of my life. I'm getting on in years. So I have to, um, I have to be able to function in my old age. So um, I'm, I'm turning 36 this year. So like I said, I'm leaving starving artists behind and moving into my artist with money era. So um, it would be fun to start investing in some stuff and making some stuff happen so we should definitely have further conversation but in the meanwhile why don't you let us know where we can buy your book and where we can check you out online uh the book uh we set up a website it's called unread page it's our independent publisher <clears throat> unreadpage.com is where the book is and my venture capital site is vccross.com venture capital cross Excellent. Yeah, no, that's, that's wonderful. And I would, yeah, I definitely want to have, uh, have some more conversations in the future about, you know, see what we can do so that I can, you know, maybe uh, afford a small, a small dinghy in a lake at some point. So <laughs> I have no hopes for a yacht, but small boat. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, all right. Well, thank you for coming on the Cameron Journal podcast. Thank you for having me. It was fun. That's all for this episode of the Cameron Journal podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Visit us online at CameronJournal.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I love to talk to my followers and listeners. So please feel free to uh, get us on social media at Cameron Cowan on Twitter. And we'll see you next time on the Cameron Journal podcast.